0: Today, we're wrapping up our sermon series called Resolved. In this series, we're exploring how making plans for a new year is awesome. It's good, it's beautiful, and if you're someone like me, it's necessary, or you'll fall into some old habits. But what if I told you the most critical ingredient to a successful year is not the plans you make, but the truths you hold to as the year progresses? The most important thing for your year are the promises that God keeps. The promises those of us with faith cling to. Today we're going to cling to the truth that God always keeps the resolution He has made to be at our side, no matter what. It's a really great promise for us to remember one week into the new year. Because if you're like me, you're one week in... And your New Year's resolutions have already burnt you out. I'm not sure why. Mine did this to me so quickly. Maybe y'all can help me figure out where I went wrong. You see, this year there's a lot of potential things that could give me a lot of anxiety. I've got some health issues. I'm getting older. My kids are getting older. There's inflation, there's an election there's wars around the world, lots of things that feel unresolved that I would love to resolve this year. So I tried to come up with some resolutions that would address the issues that bring me the most anxiety, the most fear, the things that seem to be the most unresolved in my life. So here are my top 10 resolutions for this year. Resolution number one, the most important one for me, and I've had this resolution for years. For years now, I want to get back to my high school weight. (laughs) Not only that, I would like to be the same height again, too, even after my back surgery. I I want to have the same energy and physique. I want to be high school James. (laughs) With all the knowledge I have now, of course. To do this, I've I've crafted some other resolutions. Resolution number two, wake up at 5 a.m. every morning to go to the gym. For one weekend, I've been three times. That's pretty good. It's not every day, like I said. This year, I'm shooting for two this week. Two days. All right. Resolution number three. Maybe I can do this one because I love to cook. Maintain a low-saturated fat, low-sugar, low-salt, low-carb, organic, plant-based, non-GMO <laughs> diet that consists of locally-sourced and affordable food that is also delicious. (laughs) I ate at Domino's yesterday. (laughs) Resolution number four, reverse my receding hairline and halt the spread of gray hair. I'm really leaning on science for this one. Resolution number five, pay off all my credit cards, get out of debt, double our savings by cutting all extra unnecessary spending. Resolution six, stay at one of the premier resorts at Disney World and have an epic vacation. (laughs) No expenses spared. Resolution seven, it's an election year. And if this year's gonna go well for me and the next three years after that, then my person better win the election. So, my resolution is make sure the right person wins the election by convincing all my friends on social media through civil and compelling debate to vote for the right person. We'll see how that goes. But there's not just problems in our nation that need to be solved. There's problems around the world, so I got a resolution for that. I'm going to solve the crisis in the Middle East, and if I have time, in Ukraine, but most likely also through influence on social media, and through debate with my extended family. (laughs) Speaking of families, resolution nine, help fix all of my loved one's problems. Apparently, they can't make good resolutions and keep them, so I'm going to do it for them because it keeps spilling into my life and my resolutions. So that's number nine. And resolution number 10, figure out why I still feel anxious. No idea why. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I will resolve most of these things. No wonder I'm anxious. At times it feels like not only are my personal life, but the whole world is on fire. Health issues, constant reminders I'm getting older, my kids growing up too fast, family drama, inflation, politics, wars, etc. My problem is I think I am a problem solver. I pride myself in not only identifying problems, but finding solutions. And yet I live in a world where most issues, most things that aren't right, most things unresolved, I can't truly fix. It's either too big, too complex, or too human for me. And I can't even resolve the problem that I want to resolve everything. And then there's the irony But as I look at other people's problems to resolve, I ignore the things, the problems that I create. And when things truly get out of hand and feel truly unresolvable, it's easy for you and me, for each and every one of us, to feel alone. To feel like we too are unresolved and broken. And because of this, our relationship with God sometimes feels broken and unresolved. Our reading today took place in a time when, for God's people, everything seemed broken. Everything about their horrible situation made them feel alone and abandoned. It was a time where their world was going up in flames, and when God's people were literally being thrown into flames. The book of Daniel, where we find the account of the fiery furnace, takes place immediately after the Lord delivers Jerusalem into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. Daniel 1, 1 through 2 reads, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, by the way, not a good king, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, also not a good king, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. This does not seem like good news for the kingdom of Judah. All the promises God had made to them seemed unresolved as the world around them burned, as they lost all control they thought they had as God's people once again were taken into slavery. And the Babylonians had perfected slavery in some various ways. One of the things they did was they would grab the smartest the most handsome, the most educated, the richest, the most royal young men in a newly conquered country and take them out of the equation, not by killing them, but by turning them into Babylonians. They would make them live like Babylonians. They would walk like a Babylonian, talk like a Babylonian, eat, drink, sing, and dance like Babylonians, and ultimately worship and pray like a Babylonian. It was their way of incorporating and subduing conquered nations. And most historical and archaeological evidence shows extremely well, except for some young men from the kingdom of Judah. In Daniel 1.5, we see that the young men taken by Nebuchadnezzar, the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and with the wine that he drank, so the best food and wine. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now, this is actually a pretty significant name change. Their Hebrew names were actually all about God being with them. They mean things like God is my judge, the Lord is my help. Their identity was all about God by their side. And now they're being given new Babylonian names about Babylonian gods. You see, in the ancient world, giving a new name was a way to control, a way to rebrand a way to show ownership, a way to change identity. You're now part of a new family, a new tribe. A quick side note, did Jesus ever give new names? I think I remember him doing it a few times, and it worked pretty well. In Daniel 1.8, we see how Daniel responds. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Here it is. Daniel is making a resolution. All four men are going to eat vegetables and drink water. Do you guys know how hard that is? (laughs) It's not easy. Most likely, the food they were being given was not only rich and expensive, but it was also very unclean. To the Hebrew standards, the standards that God had given them, it was unclean on so many levels, especially the fact that it was probably involved in rituals to other gods. So they resolved to be vegetarians. But the man who was in charge of these men, he knows that vegetarians, they're, they're skinny. We want big, beefy men. The king is expecting that of me. So he was worried that if these boys kept to their resolution, it would make him look bad. But God gave their boss compassion for them. And they came up with a plan that for 10 days, the young men would eat just the vegetables and drink just water. And at the end of that 10 days, they would see who was stronger, the vegetarian boys or the boys who ate from the table of the king. And lo and behold, Daniel and his friends were stronger. In Daniel 1.17, it says, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You see, it is good to make resolutions. It's great to have standards and values and stick to them. It's good to keep God's commandments and his laws. But... We have to remember that God is the one who gives gifts. He's the one who blesses. He is the one with the power. He is the one in control. Daniel 1.18 says, At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. God is with these boys. He's been with them all along. When everything was falling apart, he was with them. So it appears we have a happy ending to the story. The Hebrew boys are given places of honor in the king's court. They seem to have been able to keep their resolutions and avoid serious persecution. Happy ending, right? Well, from our reading earlier, we see it gets a little darker before it gets better. How do we go from this, standing before the king, being the best of the best, given more responsibility to being thrown into a fiery furnace by the same king? It's a hard fact for us to grapple with, but the resolutions of the Hebrews were not enough to change the world around them. Not enough to drastically change the Babylonian culture, to put an end to jealous men who wanted the favor that the Hebrews had received. Their resolutions didn't change the heart of the king. It took God doing something way later in the story to change his heart. You see, the king himself saw himself as God. Yeah, he thought the Hebrew God was powerful and needed to be respected, sure, but that was part of Babylonian culture. As you conquered nations, you incorporated their gods into your traditions and maybe ranked them among your own gods. You used religion and gods as a way to maintain power. So as the Hebrew men served in various ways in the kingdom, keeping resolutions, the real issues around them continued to be unresolved. They still lived in a kingdom full of idolatry. And they were still surrounded by enemies. And the promises of God made to his people of a holy kingdom all their own still seemed utterly unresolved. So Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold of himself and commands everyone to worship it. Huh. A political leader using the name of God for power, but then creating a cult of identity around himself. I've never seen that in the history of mankind, have you? But you know the type of resolve that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They refused to bow down to it, resulting in being thrown in a furnace so here's our truth our resolutions are limited in power because we are limited and we will never truly resolve our biggest issue which is sin and death and everything that comes along with it sin makes it hard for us to resolve small issues large issues and everything in between We see it time and time again in the story of the Bible, in the story of God's people. They make promise after promise to God, to each other, and to themselves. And the majority of the time, if not all the time, they fail miserably in keeping those promises, just like you and me. It's what got them conquered by the Babylonians to begin with. We see some really cool and really awesome exemptions to this acceptations. Well, I can't speak today. We see some great exceptions to that pattern in the story. Men like Daniel and the boys thrown in the furnace. They kind of break the cycle at times. And God rewards those men and women time and time again when they trust in him. You see, that's what this is truly about. It's not about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's resolve and ability to keep their resolutions. It's about faith. And faith is trusting in God's power and promise to fully keep his resolutions. It wasn't on the elite Hebrew boys, the best of the best that the kingdom of Judah had to offer. It wasn't on them to fix the situation they were in. Daniel did not place his trust in his ability to keep a holy diet, his power to interpret dreams. These men trusted in God's power to save, his power to resolve. They rested in the promises that God had made them, even when those promises seemed to have unraveled around them. They knew that no matter what, God was with them. They trusted God so much that they were ready to be thrown in a fiery furnace and face death itself. They were ready because they knew their God would be with them and had the power to resolve even the problem of death. And then the most beautiful thing happens. As they're thrown into the furnace, they get a taste of real resolution. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This might be my favorite verse in the Bible. Not only are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spared from pain and death and suffering, there is another in the fire with them, talking with them, comforting them, bringing them good news. And it isn't just any angel. It isn't your average messenger from God. It is the messenger of good news, the angel of the Lord in the fire with them. It's not just someone like a son of the gods. It is the son of the God. This is why you and I can rest and not be anxious about our resolutions. We don't have to be anxious about our youth and health falling apart. We don't have to be anxious about families falling apart, nations and politics falling apart. We don't have to be anxious about any furnace we find ourselves in, and we do not have to be anxious about the fires of death. Our God, the messenger of good news, declared death resolved on the cross. When he said it is finished, he was resolving things. The same messenger who was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego then descended into the fires of hell and declared that same victory. Christ will be. Ultimately, fully resolve all your resolutions for you. You can trust that God will be at your side as your health and youth fade, and you can trust His promise to resurrect you and give you a new body that will never age and de- decay someday. As you worry about finances, riches, possessions, and vacations, God will be at your side, and you can trust that when Christ returns, you will live a life full of adventures without any wants, and God isn't waiting to give you tastes of that life now. You can trust that as kings, queens, presidents, bosses that you did not choose rule over you, God is truly in control and by your side. He is the king of kings who uses earthly kings, Nebuchadnezzars, Trumps, Bidens, whoever, no matter who they are, for his ultimate glory. You can trust that the relationships around you that seem to be broken and unresolved will ultimately be resolved when Christ returns and resolves the toughest relationships. And you can trust that God will be at your side as he works in and through you and others to bring resolution and healing now. You can trust in the God who dwells with us in the fire to give you overflowing peace you can make gospel-centered resolutions knowing that god will be resolving what needs to be finished by working in through and despite you even when you fail in your resolutions when you feel alone and like your relationship with god is broken and unresolved know that he is at your side right now and your relationship with him was fully resolved on the cross God spoke words through the prophet Isaiah for his captive people years before he sent them into captivity. And I want to leave you with those very same words. They're as powerful and true today as they were thousands of years ago. God spoke through Isaiah and said this to you and me. Don't be afraid because I am with you. Don't be intimidated. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will support you with my victorious right hand. Amen.